The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com All right, Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 to 20. Guess what? Today is the last day in the book of Zephaniah. Um, uh, we're going to, again, like I said, we're going to continue in our series on majoring in the minors. We're going to be uh, having several sermons out of uh, the books, uh, the minor prophets in Scripture. And I like it. Um, like I've said, uh, people have come up to me over and over again and said, hey, Shane, we appreciate uh, hearing sermons out of the minor prophets. Uh, many people have even said that this is the first time they've ever heard sermons out of the minor prophets. And some people are actually even telling me they know why we don't hear sermons out of the minor prophets. Uh, because there's pretty major subjects that we're dealing with here in the prophets. <laughs> uh, Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 to 20. So while you're turning there, a few years ago, an angry man had rushed through the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam until he reached Rembrandt's famous painting called The Night Watch. He took out a knife and he started to slash it repeatedly before he could be stopped. And on that same day, a short time later, a distraught and hostile man slipped into St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome with a hammer and began to smash Michelangelo's beautiful sculpture, the Pieta. Two cherished works of art were severely damaged. But what did the officials do? Did they just take those two pieces of art, throw them out, forget about them? Absolutely not. It says, using the best experts who worked with the most or the utmost care and precision, they made every effort to restore those two treasures. We're talking about the work of restoration, the wonderful work of restoration of what happens. Sin, infected with sin, damaged like the paintings, but did God take his creation and just throw us out and forget about us? No. He had a plan to restore creation to bring us back to him. Now, when the work is complete, there is great joy. There was a lot of celebration, I hear, once they finished restoring those two works of art. And there is joy that comes to that. When the work is complete, there is joy. But the question today is this. What is it that causes us to be consistently and constantly happy? To rejoice, to be exuberant, to do cartwheels. What is it that makes us happy? Is it when our favorite sports team win when they win the championship? Getting more money back from our taxes? Finding out that our favorite band of all time is doing a reunion tour and they're coming to Denver? Is it the guy or the girl that you like just broke up with their boy or girlfriend? Is it when we see a 75% off sign at our favorite department store? You find out they got your favorite flavor at Cold Stone. They're opening an in and out right next door to you. Moving into your new house. Makes it, does it make us happy? Exuberant, rejoice, driving our new car, our child doing well in school, going on vacation with our family. Our political party got the majority in Congress, or you, got, you finally got 100,000 subscribers on your YouTube page, or you got 100 likes on your picture that you posted on Facebook. This is what makes you happy, just a kiss and a smile from our significant other? What is it that makes us happy? Or does it really have to do with the gospel of Jesus? Does it? I guess the question today is this. Do we still find joy in Christianity? I kind of wonder. I look at society today. I look at our world. I look at our culture. Do we still find joy in Christianity? A lot of my friends I, I see on Facebook and Instagram, and they're all profess a lot of them are all professing Christians. And I read their posts on a day-to-day -day basis and see what it is that they post about. And I always kind of scratch my head and I ask myself that question. Do we still find joy with Christianity? 
Do we still find joy in the fact that we know and heard the gospel of Jesus, that Christ died for our sins, that Christ brought us salvation, and that Christ continues his work of restoration in us? Do we still find joy in the restoration of God that we have in our Lord Jesus? Do we rejoice every day knowing that we've been saved from the very hand of God by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross? Do we celebrate every hour of every day knowing that Christ in this wor- came into this world to seek and save that which was lost and he actually did it? Well, let's be honest today. Is hearing and being reminded of the hope and the promise we have with God something that we wholeheartedly celebrate with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our strength? Well, if we're struggling with this today, we're going to see why it's happening and how we can overcome it. And if you're not, you're saying, hey, Shane, no, that's me, man. I'm like that. Well, you know what? Today we're going to find even more reason for us to celebrate. So let's check it out. Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 to 20. Zephaniah 3, 14 to 20. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. For the Lord will remove his hand of judgment and will disperse the armies of your enemy. And the Lord himself, the King of Israel, will live among you. At last, your troubles will be over, and you will never again fear disaster. On that day, the announcement to Jerusalem will be, Cheer up, Zion, don't be afraid, for the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm your fears. Excuse me. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. I will gather you who mourn for the appointed festivals. You will be disgraced no more. And I will deal severely with all who have oppressed you. I will save the weak and helpless ones. I will bring together those who were chased away. I will give glory and fame to my former exiles wherever they have been mocked in shame. On that day, I will gather you together and bring you home again. I will give you a good name, a name of distinction among all the nations of the earth as I restore your fortunes before their very eyes. I, the Lord have spoken. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that it will continue to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, that we will find comfort in the truth. Your word is truth. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're taking notes today, the first thing we're going to look at is this wonderful reason that the Lord imparts as to why his people should sing, shout, and rejoice, and be glad. Second thing we're going to look at today is we will witness a vivid description as to how the Lord will delight, how the Lord will love, how the Lord will rejoice over his people. And the last thing we're going to see is our mighty Savior who did come to seek and save that which was lost, and he did find us. And our thesis statement today is this, though sin and the pattern of this world may cause us to despair in dissatisfaction with lifestyle, It's the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of Scripture that will cause us to see the work of the mighty Savior and to see sin and the wrath of God as our main problem in life, how he won our salvation on the cross. So the point, our first point today is we will rejoice. We've got more than enough reason to rejoice today. But it does seem like in the church in America, there's not a lot of rejoicing going on. Sure does seem that way anyway. As we end the book of Zephaniah, we should take note of something here. The book begins with one of the most intense oracles of judgment and universal devastation. And now it's going to end with one of the most intense oracles of divine restoration and love that we would ever read. I love the way O. Palmer Robertson, he writes it, so I'm going to read it to you here really quick. He says this, One of the most awesome descriptions of the wrath of God in judgment found anywhere in Scripture appears in the opening verses of Zephaniah. The totality of the cosmos shall be consumed in his burning anger. 
the very order of creation will be overturned. One of the most moving descriptions of the love of God for his people found anywhere in scripture appears in the closing verses of Zephaniah. God and his people attain heights in the ecstasy of love that are hard to comprehend. So today, instead of a woe, and we've had months of woe, instead of seeing a woe, we see a declaration of jubilation here at the end of Zephaniah. Instead of wrath, we see a picture of delight and gladness. Remember when I told you, anytime you're reading and you see the word woe, Okay? Pay special, special attention to what we're about ready to read. So here's the other thing that we see is another hermeneutical principle here. We should also take note when the scriptures are doing what scholars will refer to as piling up words. So when you see in the scriptures words for joy, uh, rejoicing, uh, jubilation, celebrate, rejoice, be glad. These are all great words of, re- uh, of rejoicing, of, of happiness, of gladness, of celebration. When you start seeing these words start getting piled up on each other, when scripture starts piling these things up, this is another moment where we should pay special attention. And we see this happening here, starting off right there in verse 14. He says to sing, to shout, to rejoice and be glad. He's piling up. He's piling up these words. So we're supposed to pay special attention to this. This people of God, God is saying he wants the people of God to rejoice and to celebrate with all their hearts, with all their minds, and with all their strength. So this is the thing I keep saying, like, hey, you know, People will say, well, God is this God of of wrath, and he's just so mean in the Old Testament, and, you know, he's just such a downer, and, you know, we just want to have fun. No, what is the Lord saying right here? He's telling us that he wants us to rejoice. He wants us to be glad. He wants us to celebrate. He wants us to throw a party. Have fun. Rejoice. Celebrate. This is an awesome moment. This is an awesome time. And the Lord is going to give us the reason why. Why should you rejoice? Why should you celebrate? Why should you be rejoicing? Why should you be glad? He makes it very clear. He says, rejoice and be glad because I'm taking my judgment away from them. Awesome. Awesome. I'm taking my judgment away from them. They no longer have the judgment of God's threat. They have been saved. You see it? God is saying, I want you to rejoice, be glad, have a great time, and celebrate. Why? Because I have forgiven you. I am lifting my hand of judgment. You are saved. You have been restored. This is reason for much celebration. God is saying you should be celebrating. You should be celebrating hard that I have done this for you. They have been restored. This is the reason for exuberant, amazing, wholehearted, with all your strength kind of celebration. It's reason for celebration, right? Hmm. It's like, I know you, Shane. You're setting us up for something. Absolutely, I am. (laughs) We say yes. Yes, Shane, this is reason for celebration. But do we really understand why? Because I think that if we really as Christians understood why this is reason for celebration, if we really had it, if we really understood it, you wouldn't see the kind of talk we're seeing coming out of the mouths of evangelicals today. I mean, it's like I I keep asking my question. I'll read and just be like, wow, I'm reading articles and things that's happening from the church. And I'm just like, man, it's almost like Christians are living today and they don't believe that Jesus is still alive. I keep saying that, right? It's just like, do you believe that Jesus is still on the throne? Do you believe that Jesus is alive and well, sitting at the right-hand throne of the Father with all authority in heaven and earth given to him? 
Do we believe that still? And here's the thing. I ask the question. Do we believe and understand that we were saved from the wrath of God and we've got reason to celebrate for every moment of every day? Do we still believe that? Do we really get this? Because a reason for great celebration is the salvation from the judgment of God. They will be saved from the judgment hand of God, and they will be delivered from their enemies, and God will make their name distinct. I mean, in some of your translations, it'll say God will make you famous. Now, famous is not understood here in the Hebrew. is not famous in the sense that we you know, think of today, you know, with American Idol and the voice and all that stuff. I'm going to be famous. You know, it's not, it has nothing to do with that. That God is going to remove your shame and he is going to make you someone notable. And, and here's the thing I think that's amazing. I, I think about this all the time. It's like, you know, some, sometimes, you know, you know in, our, in our world today, in our culture today, being a Christian is not really all that popular. I don't know if you guys have, if, have experienced some of that. And so, you know, oh, Shane, he's a Christian. Oh, even worse, he's a Baptist, you know. And it's just like, you know, and Shane is just out of his mind, and he, he follows this book, you know, that was written by men, and blah, 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 and it's full of lies and myths and legends. He just does all this stuff, and, you know, he's just like this Christian, this Christian nerd, this Christian crazy person. And they say these kinds of things, and yeah, you know, and I'm, I'm a human being too. I have a heart, and I do have feelings, you know, so you hear these kinds of things, and it hurts your feelings a little bit, you know? And the thing I always think about, though, is that many people, yeah, they probably think I'm a moron. They probably think I'm a nerd. They probably think all this stuff. They probably think I'm an idiot. But one day it's going to come, and they're going to realize, they're going to realize, wait a minute. Are you saying that Shane is a king in the kingdom of heaven? Yeah, one day they're going to see it. And I think about that. But the thing is, it's like, yeah, that is reason to rejoice. That is reason to stand. That is reason to, to celebrate. That is reason for that. God will do all of these things. He's going to save us. He's going to lift his hand of judgment off of us. And he's going to restore us. Now, some of us might say, for sure, Shane, that's reason to celebrate. But is it really a reason to celebrate that much? I mean, the Lord is declaring a celebration, and he's declaring a really, really big celebration because of this. I mean, some of us today might be honest and say, hey, Shane, you know what? I hear the gospel. I hear this stuff. It's great news. Don't get me wrong. The gospel is great news. But I don't know if it's that Huge. I mean, it's huge, but is it really? Hmm. Now, let's be honest today. It's huge, but is it really? I mean, in our day and age, the question I have always, always is this. Has the message of the gospel lost its luster? Have we lost it? I mean, many will say that it's good news, that it's great news, but the most wonderful news and the most wonderful thing I've ever heard, I don't know, Shane, if I would agree with that. Some of us might be thinking that. I'm not sure about it. It doesn't seem to matter that much today, you know? It's, it, you know, we're finding out as statistics have come, more and more pulpits in America today are abandoning the frequency and the quality of the gospel message and its potential to attract and to motivate people. I mean, they're just, it's, it's abandoning. Is it really? I mean, they'll ask, is this really a party that I want to really get involved in? I mean, it's important. They'll, they'll never say that the gospel is not important, but the only time you'll really ever hear the gospel is maybe twice a year, Christmas and Easter. I mean, it's a, I remember, remember I was telling you guys this past Christmas about how, how one church was making it a big deal. Right here in Denver, they were making it a big deal. They're advertising, they're saying all this stuff. And bring your unsaved friends so they can hear the gospel of Jesus preached. 
And it was almost as if they're just saying, like, if there's one time of the year where you need to bring your unsaved loved one, it's this time, because this time we're going to preach the gospel. It's like you're advertising the fact that today you're going to hear the gospel. You know what I mean? It was just bizarre when I'm reading this and listening to this advertising. It's like, do you realize what you're actually saying? You're saying that this most, the most wonderful uh, news that we have ever heard, the most wonderful thing that's ever been said, is only good enough for you to do once a year. And I'm just thinking, I'm like thinking, what are you talking about every Sunday if you're not preaching the gospel every single Sunday? What are you preaching? Has, has the gospel, have we lost that? Because people will say, and I've had people tell me this, Shane, you got to stop with the sin and the gospel stuff, man. Nobody wants to hear that stuff. Nobody wants to hear it. It doesn't inspire people. It doesn't motivate people anymore. It might have back in like, you know, the, the, the horse and carriage days, but not today. Man, we got the electric car now, man. You know, there's going to be carnivals and, uh, and SeaWorld kind of attractions out in space in 2024. Do you guys hear about that? They're going to have amusement parks in space now. I, 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 I still don't understand the space thing. You know, I, I'll, go to, I'll go to the amusement park here on Earth, right? And risk the, uh, somebody's going to open the window and we're all going to die of suffocation. I mean, come on. <laughs> Why can't we just stay here on Earth? I know, anyway. I mean, we look at this and we think that the gospel message is just some kind of, this some kind of archaic thing. And the thing is, it's, it's global now. It's not just an American thing. It's not just a European thing. Man, it's looking like it's a global thing that's happening all throughout the globe. The bottom line is this, family. The reason why we don't see value in the gospel, the reason why we're not seeing the importance of Christ and how beautiful this is, and the reason why, the reasons for us to celebrate in this is because Thomas Watson said it very clear, until sin is bitter, Christ will not taste sweet. The problem is, is we don't see this as an amazing thing, the gospel as an amazing thing, because we don't see how bad sin really is. Until we see how bad that is, we don't recognize how awesome the rescue actually is. You know, it's like, it's like I've said before, like, have you ever tried telling the gospel to an individual who doesn't believe they're a sinner? This happens several times when I'm trying to talk to an individual. They don't think they sin. So I'm trying to say, hey, you know what? I got some awesome news for you. Jesus died for our sins. Thank you? No, no, no. He died. He saved us from our sins. He saved us from the wrath of God. That's cool. How do you get somebody to be excited about salvation if they don't think they need to be saved? Right? And this is what's happening in our global community, where sin, the mistakes that we make, or the sins are called mistakes that we've made. Yeah, we're good people. We're not perfect, but we're good people. You know, for the most part, we're good, and we're continuing to have a society that dim diminishes sin, where even sinful lifestyles are being urged as being normal. And now they're going to punish us if we say anything negative about sinful lifestyles. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like sin is just becoming smaller and smaller and smaller. Do we realize that the more we shrink sin, <laughs> the more bitter Christ becomes? It's absolutely amazing how you see this. And sure, we say, and some of us will say, okay, well, fine. I mean, you know, I get it. Jane, the gospel, it's extraordinarily good news. You say it's so good that angels long to look at it with outstretched necks. The Bible says that. It's amazing. But because we don't see sin and the wrath of God as our biggest problem, we will never see salvation as our biggest victory. Shane. Sure, I get it. It's one of the many problems in life, but, I mean, it's just one of the many problems I, I have in life. I got a lot of problems in life right now. 
Sure, it's part of it, but you know, it's, I, got, I got problems, man. I got real problems here. You're talking about stuff that's affecting me for eternity. What about the stuff that's going to affect me tomorrow? Right? This has got to be resonating with somebody today. And, 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 and so when it comes to sin and it comes to, come, I come to church on Sunday, I hear Pastor Shane preaching about sin. I hear Pastor Shane preaching about salvation. I hear Pastor Shane say all these kinds of things. And we go home and we go, yeah, okay, this is a big problem. This is a problem that we have in life. But what happens is because we don't see the seriousness of sin and the wrath of God, we treat this as, as if it's like, you know, every Monday morning we wake up. We look at our lives. I don't know if you guys do this, but I, I do it a lot. You know, the week starts. I look at my life. I see where I'm at, and I have to plan my week accordingly. Well, what happens in that, instead of looking at my, you know, just my simple day-to-day -day, uh, uh, responsibilities as a pastor, trying to do everything I can to say job, not to say job, my responsibilities as a pastor, I start to go down the list and take inventory. But what happens is, is I start to do, get the damage report, and it's not just my responsibility as a pastor. I start to do damage report for my life. You know, you ever get to that moment where you're just like, what am I doing with my life here? You start scratching your head. What am I doing with my life? And we start to do damage report with life. And I think sometimes what happens when we do the damage report with life, sin and the wrath of God gets kind of thrown in there with all the other problems, you know? And so we go through this, and we're just like, okay, God is, the wrath of God, it's a factor, it's important. So let's put it on the list. Okay, so you know what? I'm dealing with some health problems right now. So you know what we're going to do? What we got to do with the health problems is we gotta, we got to fix some things a little. we got financial problems. we got housing problems. we got family problems. i got marriage problems. Well, okay, so what am I going to do here? Okay, so let's just take this one at a time. I don't know if you guys do this kind of life inventory thing. Okay, but there's health problems here. So what do I need to do is I need to work on maybe like a, a plan. I got to work on my diet. I got to work on exercise. Maybe if I exercise more and all that stuff, okay. Yeah, that's what I'll do. Change the diet, change the exercise. That'll help with most, most of the health problems. Okay, got that. And then we go, well... So we got financial problems now. So I got financial issues in my life. You know what I'm going to do? We're going to do a better job of saving. That's what we're going to do. So we're going to save money. You know, we're going to do better with saving. You know, maybe do some, you know, retirement investing and all that stuff so we don't have to worry about finances when I get older. Okay. I think if we stick to that plan, I think we got the financial issues taken care of. You know what? And, you know, I'll ask my boss for a raise. You know, well, I got housing problems too, man. We got, we got all kinds of, oh, man, I'm going through the housing problems. We make the list of all the things that's got to be fixed, and we end up going, you know what? It'd probably be cheaper for us to sell this house and buy a new one. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to sell the house. We're going to buy a new one. We're going to call up my friend. He's a realtor. He's going to help me sell this house and all this stuff. So we got this a lot here. Okay, sin and the wrath of God problem. Okay, that's a big problem. Uh, you know what? But, you know, I, was, I went to church on Sunday, and, you know, all we got to do is believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe Jesus is Lord. Oh, probably need to go to church most as much as we can. Okay, put that in the schedule. Gotta go to church this Sunday. Okay, I believe Jesus is Lord. I got it in the schedule that I'm gonna go to church this Sunday. Okay, check. Now let's deal with the family issues. I got family issues. I was like, and we move on to the family issues, and we start figuring out what we're going to do with the family issues. And then we got the marriage issues, and we, okay, we got to get some marriage counseling. So we go through this stuff, and we got these, this life inventory of problems that we have with life. Figure out a solution, put a check mark next to it, and go to the next one. I feel like sometimes that's how we're treating this whole thing. Like the sin and the wrath of God is just like one of the many problems we have. We have our solution. Thank the Lord. Jesus died. Check mark, I believe. Check mark. I'll just make sure I go to church as much as I can. And if you've been here for the church series, you absolutely have heard many, many times me saying, I don't care if you go to church every single day. If you don't believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, you are not going to heaven. Like church attendance has anything to do with it. You know, like the Archangel Michael is up there going, I don't know, man. You have bad church attendance. I don't think so. You see that, that escalator going down? That's the one you need to get on, you know? It, it, like church attendance is a, it has nothing to do with this. 
Well, we see these kinds of things, and we look at this. We look at our lives and all this stuff, and we look at it as just a problem that we've got to find a solution for, found a solution, got it, put a check mark next to it, and now we're on to the next issue. All we're doing at that moment is celebrating my salvation just like I celebrate some extra money that I get on my taxes. Yeah, it makes me happy that I got some extra money on my taxes. I'm good. I'm good. We can pay some of our bills here. That's great. Oh, I feel good. You know, I'm going to go sit down and watch some Netflix. Is it like that? Yeah, you know, I went to church this Sunday, and, man, I heard the gospel preached. You know, I, I believe. I really do believe. I went to church. That was good. Yeah, so I'm going to go to heaven. Awesome. So we sit down and watch Netflix. It's like one, you know what I'm saying? It's like one of the many problems we have in life that we just kind of, we got a solution for, we're good. Many of us might look at Christianity and maybe see Christianity as more as an investment of our future. Right? What do I need to do to make sure that I don't burn in hell for eternity, that I can live in eternal bliss? Oh, these are the things I got to do? Okay, I'll make sure I'm doing these things to make sure that I go to heaven when I die. We see it more as an investment to our future, more than the fact that our lives were saved. Heaven is not about salvation and restoration to God. Heaven is an investment in my future. To make sure I have all that I want, that I can live out my eternity in comfort. You know, Jesus said that we're going to live in mansions when we go to heaven. He didn't tell you how big they were. <laughs> I mean, what happens when you find out that the mansion he made for you is a model home? <laughs> I just wonder sometimes, right, of how many things that we hear and the expectations that I have sometimes when I'm talking with individuals about what they believe heaven is going to be like as to what they're going to do, you know, what they're going to have, what they're going to experience, all of these types of things. I'm listening to this, and I'm wondering how many of us are actually going to be disappointed when we go to heaven. Right? I mean, an individual is talking to me about, man, I hope they got golf up there. I'm like, I hope they don't. I mean, it's just, it's like, you know, what happens with every single time you hit the ball? You're not even looking, you know, you're just standing there and you go, and the ball goes in the hole. Right? Golf wouldn't be that fun if every time you hit it, it went in the hole. Even the hole is over there, you hit the ball this way, and it goes in the hole. You know, like, people are talking about all of these types of things, like, you know, oh, you know, we got, we're going to have this, we're going to have that, we're going to have all of these, um, you know, these amazing things that we have. And I'm not wanting to pull anything away from that. But the reason why I'm asking this, and the reason why we're talking about this is, what is the reason why we want to go to heaven? Right? Are we wanting to go to heaven because heaven is a world class, or universal class retirement facility, man. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life, man, and, and this, all this stuff, I'm going to have all these things, all, all eternity, we're going to have that. That's the reason why I want to go to heaven. Well, if that's the reason why you want to go to heaven, you are going to be disappointed. Just in case you were wondering, heaven is about worshiping the king of kings for eternity. Some people are like, man, I just... I can't, I can't handle that, the church service. Well, if you can't handle church down here, you're going to hate it up there, man. You know, over here, you're waiting for checking the clock going, oh, man, it's getting close to noon, man. Pastor Shane, he's getting a little long. Is he going to make it? Am I going to complain on Monday? In heaven, it's not going to stop. Let's just get it out there, guys. My whole point, the reason why we're going there is because I love my God. I love my king. I, I, I'm there. I'm there for Christ. So that's the question I've asked. I've said this many times here at church. 
when we go to heaven, and what happens, just a hypothetical question, what happens if we go to heaven and there's all that amazing stuff you were expecting, the best foods, the best, you know, you know, eating spiritual food, whatever the spiritual food is that you eat, whatever, if you're eating food, all the best of the best of everything that life could give, but Christ wasn't there. How many of us would be cool with that? That's the scary thing. Ask yourself that question. How many of us would be cool with that? That I'm living in the lap of luxury without Christ. Many of us might think of Christianity more as an investment of our future. Christianity is not necessarily about being reconciled to God, but just making sure that I have a lot of bliss when I go. I don't want to suffer in hell. I want eternal bliss. Instead of rejoicing for the fact that there was nothing we could do, we needed to be saved. We rejoice that we did enough. What's the minimum? I've heard this many times, family. What's the minimum, Shane? What's the minimum I got to do to get into heaven? Just, just lay it out, man. What do I, what's, what, what's the least I need to do just to make sure I get in? You know, if I, if I get into heaven smelling like smoke, I'm good. I'm okay with that. I just want to make sure I'm in. What's the minimum I have to do? <laughs> I love playing with people that say that. Because, right, <laughs> go ye into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them the minimum amount that they need to do. No, the scripture says, teaching them everything that I have taught. So they go, what's the minimum I need to do to get into heaven? Everything. See, this is the thing. The minimum I need to do to get in. So when we make it to heaven, what's your response? I walk through the doors of heaven and it's like, cool, I made it to heaven. Or is your response walking in through the gates saying, hallelujah, where's Jesus? Because if he's not here, I don't want to be here either. Oh, you think I'm kidding. They received the rewards and rewards in heaven. The elders got it. The elders got their crowns, their jewels, and everything. And Jesus came. And what did the people do? They took their crowns off of their head, and they threw it at his feet. There's no reward that we think we're going to get. There's no reward that we think we're going to get in heaven that's going to compare with Christ. We might not see that now. We may not recognize that now because we're still dealing with the flesh and we're still dealing with distraction. We're still dealing with false teachings. We're still dealing with all that stuff that we have to deal with in the world. So sometimes it's confusing and it's hard. And I, and I get it. I'm with you on that because sometimes I, I, I wrestle with that with, when I'm struggling with things myself. And I'm going, but you know what? I take comfort that I know this for a fact. When I see Jesus, I'm going to know it. And everything that I was complaining about all my life here on earth is going to pale in comparison when I get to look my Lord's, at my Lord's face and see his glory reflecting. It's going to be that awesome. It's not about heaven. It's about seeing Christ. That's the point. And if seeing Christ means I've got to wander the desert, but I get to be with my Lord, then so be it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And family, that will be bliss for us. If you see Christ as sweet, but spending an eternity with Christ, if you see him as bitter, is not going to be heaven. It'll be more like hell. No matter what the distraction, we have got to get into our minds that it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
Matthew chapter 8, verse 12, Matthew 8, 12, But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Family, I'm going to tell you right now, when you look at the Greek rendering of this, I mean, that's the best way to, to, to translate it, weeping and gnashing of teeth. But family, I'm going to tell you right now, people will say, well, Shane, what's that going to be like? I know this for a fact. I don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but I know this for a fact. You don't want it. When you hear somebody tell you this is going to be a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, you run from it. <laughs> you stay away from it. I don't need to know what weeping and gnashing of teeth is. All I know is I don't want it. It's not going to be good. This is not simple times of discomfort that people might have. Okay, fine, if I go to hell, that's, you know, so what? It's just going to be times of discomfort. Sure, it's going to be hot there. I, I'm from Arizona. I'm good. You know, there, you know, I hear there's going to probably be like an occasional party down there. I'm, I'm good with the occasional party, you know. It's not going to be this, family. It's not going to be occasional discomfort down there. It's not going to be you locked in a cage with the devil poking you in the back with his pitchfork. Uh-uh. <laughs> this is going to be an awful, awful thing. It will be eternal anguish, remorse, pain, misery, terror. Hell is not a place where you, su where, where you suffer the anger of the devil and his demons. Hell is the place where you suffer the wrath of God. Let me tell you something, family. I know the devil is, is pretty fear. You know, the devil's a pretty scary thing. But I'll tell you what is going to be is infinitely worse. The wrath of God. I mean, we see in the scriptures that of all his wonderful blessings, we can't imagine the wonderful blessings that he has. I can't imagine what kind of judgment he has in store. The wrath of the living God will be more than we could ever imagine. This is why the scripture says it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So we should be afraid. Should be. I mean, when we've gone through the whole book of Zephaniah, man, those are some scary, scary things that he had just in store for Judah. What about when Jesus comes back to judge the living and the dead? Maybe some of us now can better realize why rejoicing and why we're rejoicing and being glad from being saved from the wrath of God. Something this bad is looming on the horizon and our Lord in grace and love opened our eyes to see it. And in order for the good news to truly be great and wonderful, we needed to see and hear the bad news. Sin, family, is so much worse than we think. It's so much worse than we think. We are so much worse than we think. The wrath of God is so much worse than we think. Hell is so much worse than we think. And today I get to tell you to rejoice and be glad because we have been saved and restored, which is way more than enough reason to celebrate. Some of us may not grasp the totality of how awesome that is now, but I guarantee you one day you will. The Lord is showing us here that we have, all that we have in Christ is reason to rejoice consistently and constantly rejoice and be glad. God saves us. We should always rejoice. We have it all right now. We should always rejoice because no matter what bad thing happens to us here on earth, I guarantee you it's going to pale in comparison to what it would be like to face the wrath of God. All the horrible things that we've experienced, and I'm telling you, family, even the worst horrible things, the Bible is making it clear that all of those things will pale in comparison to facing the wrath of God. Don't fear the one that can hurt the body, but fear the one that
that can not only hurt the body, but cause your spirit to suffer forever. That's worse. And we've been saved. We've been redeemed. We've been restored. So that's why Philippians chapter 4, 4, the word of God, Philippians 4, 4 says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Some of your translations will say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Always be joyful. So let me say this really quick. We are missing something truly, truly important if we can't do this. If you are a Christian today, you are saying, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and I, I believe that. And I have life in his name. I have life and life more abundant. But we cannot have joy. And we cannot rejoice in the Lord always. Something is wrong. Until sin is bitter, Christ will not taste sweet. So if Christ does not taste sweet right now, maybe it's because we don't think our sin is bitter. Maybe we like our sin a whole lot more than we do Christ. Point number two, real quick. The Lord will rejoice over us. The picture that we see here is the rejoicing and gladness. In verse 17, we see a beautiful, beautiful picture that they would find comfort in the fact that the Lord their God is living among them. That's huge. When you see that rendering, that God is going to live among them, that's awesome. That's huge. And the comfort is in the context of judgment. And so in the same way, family, we would find comfort today in knowing that the Lord is also dwelling with us. And we know that this is the case. Why? Because 1 John chapter 14 said what? So the word became flesh and he made his home among us. Man. That's awesome. He's with us. And another point of comfort that we have, another reason for us to be glad, is not only is he with us, but he said that he would always be with us. In Matthew 28, verse 20, Matthew 28, verse 20, teach these new disciples to be all the commands. See, there's the minimum, right? What's the minimum I got to do? All the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So not only is Christ with us, he also promised that he will always be with us. We know our Lord won't ever leave us. You know our Lord won't ever forsake us. And that he adds something incredible here. A people who rejected. See, this is another reason why we got to rejoice. Do you realize that this is what he is doing? A people who rejected, rebelled against the Lord doing the worst kinds of idolatry, worst kinds of blasphemy, that these people would be brought to him and he will delight over them. A beautiful example of this is given in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 62.5. Isaiah 62.5. Your children will commit themselves to you, O Jerusalem, just as a young man commits himself to his bride. Then God will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. Now, husbands, I hope, I hope you were rejoicing at least the day you got married. Right? Amen. At least the day you got married. The next day, I mean, you know, might be different. But the day you were married, I'm hoping that you were rejoicing over your bride. What an awesome, amazing thing. Awesome, amazing thing. In the same way, God is going to rejoice over us. Quiet and calm us with his love. And I, I want to let John McKay bring this home. He says this, this silent is a love, silence is a love deeply felt where God is absorbed in the object of its love. This is a sublime expression of the ultimate in divine love, lost in wonder over reclaimed humanity. Man. And the last thing we see is that he's going to rejoice over us. This is amazing. That in the beginning, the people will be judged and they will face the terrible. It is the horrors of what God will do to them. And now we see the wonders of what God's going to do for them. Wow. And he, re and he rejoices over his redeemed. 
and restored people. So family, I, I remember hearing uh, uh, one of my friends, he was preaching the gospel, doing a really good job. And he says, the thing that's amazing about this is who we are, who it is that he saves. And he was talking about an individual who blasphemed God, who who said all these horrible things about God. And he said he actually would give God the middle finger. Like, like he would be around his, his Christian friend. This is how bad it was. I, you know, I mean, I'm sure many of you maybe have examples that was worse. But, but he's, he's with his family. They're all praying. They bow their head and they close their eyes. He bowed his head, closed his eyes with his finger up in the air like that. That's what he did. And, it, and he would blaspheme like the worst blasphemies ever. And, and just, just do horrible, awful, awful things and say horrible, awful things about Christ. Because you know that one day he was preaching the gospel and he started to weep, started to cry because God opened his heart and his mind and he believed that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. And he talks about that. Like, do you realize that God made a child of his this individual who disrespected, rebelled, and blasphemed like nobody. And why would God do such a thing? How could God do such a thing? People who rebelled, family, it gets even worse than that. I take that and I say, you know what? It goes even a step further than that. How many of you guys would actually reward somebody? Reward somebody? Give them all the money you have? Set them up with everything that you own. Let you move out of their house. You give them your house. Set them up with all your life insurance, everything. This person's life is set. You've given them everything, all the treasures and everything you owned. <laughs> How many of you would do this for a person who tortured and killed your son? Like, I, I, it's, 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 I can't even think of it in worldly terms of parents that would actually do that. What you did to my kid is absolutely reprehensible. You should go to jail. You should go to prison for life, and you should burn in hell for eternity. I mean, it's kind of our natural knee-jerk response to something like that. It's not what our father did. Oh, but Shane, I didn't kill his son. Yes, you did. Whoa, did that go over your head? Did we miss that? Well, Shane, I didn't kill his son. Yes, you did. And he does the amazing. <laughs> the amazing. He gives you everything he has. For real? Yep. All that I have is yours. Are you a child of God? Yes. Then all that he has is yours. Do we see that? Do we recognize that? We are co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs with Christ, which means what? It means you are a king, you are a queen in the kingdom of heaven. That's what you are. You are a king, you are a queen in the kingdom of heaven. He is a mighty Savior who is pleased when he redeems and he restores his people. See, Christ came to seek and save that which was lost. All of these are realities for us as well. As it was for the people of Judah when they were redeemed and restored. God is not just mighty to save the people of Israel, but God is mighty to save the world. However, like the people at the time of Zephaniah's prophecy, we too are faced with God's judgment. We too sinned and rebelled against the Lord. And we too are as guilty and deserving as the people of Judah at the time. Wait, Shane, are you serious? Yes, I'm serious. And take it serious. The Bible makes it very clear. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says that there is no one on earth who always does good and never sins. The Bible says... 
We are all by nature children of wrath. The Bible says we were sinful from the time we were in our mother's womb. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. Oh, but, but Shane, that's not me. I don't sin. Oh, yeah? The Bible says that if you claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And the Bible says that if we keep all the laws except one, we are as guilty as one who has broken all of them. All you got to do is break one, and you are as guilty as one who had broken all of them. We're liable for judgment. We deserve the judgment of God. We are guilty, and the Bible is clear about the judgment that is coming. It is real. It will be devastating, <laughs> and we should be afraid of it. And God has promised the wrath to be poured out, and those who fall into his hands of judgment will go to the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth to face eternal anguish, pain, remorse, regret, and suffering. He promised that. Shane, where are you getting this from? We're getting it from Scripture. The Bible tells us this. Judgment is coming, and it's real, and it's going to be a terrible, swift sword. Okay, Shane, I get it. I get what you're saying. If you wanted to freak me out, it worked. You freaked me out, okay? I get it. I get it. Is there hope for me? Because, Shane, the Lord gave hope to the people at the end of Zephaniah. Do we have that? Do we have hope? You bet we do. We got the same promise. It's called the gospel of Jesus. We can have hope. Did you know that Jesus took the punishment of God for us? That Jesus suffered for us? That Jesus was judged for us? That Jesus faced the wrath of God for us? Because the Bible says that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. That the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. That he came to seek and save that which was lost. He became a ransom for many. He was the propitiation. He was a sacrifice. And he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. A reason to rejoice, family. We have reason, lots of reasons to rejoice. The promises continue. Today, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And we saw the same promise in Zephaniah as we have today. Did you know that the Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so Christian today, know that the Lord looks upon us as the bridegroom. We are the bride for the bridegroom. He rejoices over us like the bridegroom rejoices over his bride. When you are covered with the blood of Jesus, we are his delight. And know that his eternal love will continue to calm us every day for days. To always remember when you're having difficult times. Remember and believe this is true. That even though the world comes against you, the world is hard. The world says, says these horrible things. I, I saw a Christian, a professing Christian actually post this, posted this. He said on, on Facebook, he goes, to, he says to be happy today. Know that somebody loves you. It's not me but somebody loves you. <laughs> it was meant to be a joke. But here's the thing, family. This is what we've got to get. This is what we've got to understand. I am telling you right here because here is the Bible, the Word of God. God cannot lie. When God says He loves us, you absolutely better believe that He loves us. And He loves us with a love that's so intense, so much so, how much? And people say, Shane, how much does God really love me? He loved you so much that he gave his one and only son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. 
awesome. Rejoice and be glad today because our Lord is with us. The Holy Spirit is with us. And although sometimes, family, we feel like he's not, a lot of times we feel like, you know, the, the footprints picture, you know, that we see. We feel like that Christ has abandoned us, that he's not there. The hardest, most difficult times in my life, I feel like he's not there. And then the, in the footprints things, it says, yeah, I only see one set of footprints. Yeah, because it was those times that I carried you. And sometimes we'll see that footprint and be like, oh, that's so good. But yet, deep down in our heart, we don't believe that's true. We still think that he abandoned us. And it's just absolutely amazing, family. How many times have we actually said to God, maybe you guys don't do this, maybe it's just me, but how many times have I actually said to God, God, if you don't save me from this, I'm not going to make it. And I said this many times, God, if you don't do this, man, I'm not going to make it. Man, if you don't do this, we're just not going to, it's not going to happen. We're just going to do this. And even when it comes to church, man, if, if God, if you don't do this, man, we are not going to make it much longer. We're not going to make it past this day. Man, I was praying that. I remember I was praying that about a certain church, you know, that, that I was, that was, that was a co-pastor with or a, an assistant pastor with. I'm praying that for the church thinking, man, we are going to go under next week. Do you know that today that church is still going? Do you know that I'm still here? How many times I told God, hey, God, if you don't help me before I cross this line, I'm done. I've crossed the line. I'm still here. And we've got the nerve to say, God left me. God abandoned me. No, family, the bottom line is the word of God is true. God does not lie. Let God be true. Oh, man, we find that men are liars. Let God be true. Rejoice and be glad today because Christ said, Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. And he means that. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.